Good morning, church. How's everyone doing today? I hope everyone, I know everyone doesn't, Patrice, I hope everyone has power by now. A lot of people didn't have power for a while. (laughs) That's right. I just wanted to start by saying if anyone doesn't have power and needs something, most of us that I know of that didn't have power now have it back. So we're all willing to help, you know, if, if you need it. Um, So Glenn's not here today. We've been working through the book of Ecclesiastes for the past two months or so. And I feel like he should be up here giving this because he's done all the back work. And this is sort of the the hit the home run, try to knock it out of the park situation. But I'm going to try to do it in his stead, okay? So if you're new or you've missed a couple of the sermons. So the book of Ecclesiastes we've been going through. And it's really all about vanity. It's about like the meaningless of life without God. Um, and, and the Hebrew word is, is hebel, and that's exactly what it means. It means meaningless, it means vanity. Um, and it's just over and over again in this book, we're seeing that, that to try to fulfill that, that God-shaped hole that all of us have in our hearts and our souls with something other than God um, is meaningless. We're, we're just not going to be able to, to get there. So I've, t- I've titled this, The End of the Matter, Everything matters. And we've sort of been building up through this book that, that nothing matters. But I hope that at the end here, we can sort of reverse that thought. Amen. So this book was written by King Solomon. He was given to be, uh, he was given wisdom by God. So he was the, the wisest, most powerful, most influential king in Israel's history. And that's who we presume wrote, wrote this book. Um, and And... I sort of alluded to this, but all of the things that, that we as humans without God try to, to strive for, pleasure or power or prestige or, or popularity, all of these things are meaningless in life. It's, it's sort of like um, I, I watched an interview of, of Tom Brady, right? So I probably will never be a New England Patriots fan, and that's, that's okay. But, but I respect... But I respect... Go Packers. I, I, I respect that he is one of the, the best quarterbacks that has ever been, right? And, and if in, in some of his interviews, when you're as good as Tom Brady is, when you win the Super Bowl, they ask him, what are you going to do now? What's, what's next for Tom Brady? And you know what he says? I want to win another Super Bowl. You know, and, and that's sort of just how this life is. We, we strive for something even if we attain it, we can't always attain it, but even if we get to be perfect, if we, if we win the Stanley Cup and get our name on the Stanley Cup, all we want is to do it again. It's just this cyclical nature of meaninglessness. So I, I, in reading this book, it sort of leaves us with, like, what is the meaning of life? If everything's meaningless, is there a meaning or is the meaning of life just that it's meaningless? So I Googled it. And I came across Success Magazine, and there are, there are 15 of the like, top American quotes for what the meaning of life is. And I'm not going to share all 15, but I'm going to share a few of them. The first one here, the meaning of life is whatever you ascribe it to be. Being alive is the meaning. That's great until we're not alive anymore, right? Then what, then what happens? That's not very encouraging. The next one. There is not one big cosmic meaning for all. There is only the meaning we each give to our life. An individual meaning, an individual plot, like an individual novel. A book for each person. 
I'm not the greatest writer. My book probably wouldn't be that great. Also, not, not that encouraging. So the one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger. The meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. It sounds a lot like Darwin, right? This is survival of the fittest right here. Encouraging if you're at the peak, but if you're not, then, then it's also not encouraging. And this last one I think fits in really well with the book of Ecclesiastes so far with our first 10 chapters. Whatever we are, whatever we make of ourselves is all we will ever have. And that in its profound simplicity is the meaning of life. Not very encouraging. I don't find that very encouraging. So these are, these are the top 15 meanings of life in America. But I think these do reflect how our society is and especially how, how America is today. So that being said, let's get into Ecclesiastes 11. So we're going to go through all these, um, these verses. There's 24 of them. We'll try to get through 11 a little bit quicker than 12. Um, in 11, we're, we're sort of carrying on with where we left off in, in chapter 10. Wade led us through 9 and 10 last week and did an amazing job. If you missed it, look it up, listen to it on the podcast. Amen. Uh, but we're sort of in the middle of, of, these, of these proverbs and these, um, these wise teachings that King Solomon is, is trying to share with us. So let's start with uh, verse 1, chapter 11. Ship your grain across the sea. I'll try to put everything up here, FYI, if you don't have your Bible or you don't want to flip through it or you don't want to go through your phone. Put every, all, the, all the verses up here on the, on the screen. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. These two scriptures together, they're, they're talking about generosity. The first one is probably a, a shipping venture of some sort. If you think about hundreds, thousands of years ago, if you're shipping grain for a profit, you're going to put it on a ship. You're going to send it off to another city or another land. Um, you're going to hope that it makes it there, that the ship doesn't capsize. If it does get there, you're going to hope that you receive whatever payment you were supposed to get for it and that that makes it all the way back towards you. Um, the second verse, I didn't look into this largely, but, but a lot of numbers have a lot of different meaning in the Bible. And seven is, is sort of thought of as, as the perfect number in the Bible. So this verse is saying, essentially, give, invest perfectly and then give a little bit more. And I don't think that this is only talking about, about money. This is also talking about time. This is talking about using those talents that we've been given. Um, I was thinking about it with, with Kylie, with our four-year-old. Um, one of her favorite things to do right now is, is just to hang out, to hang out with me. Um, and, I, and, I, and I love it. But I started thinking about it. If I, if I were to pay someone to take her to go do the, her favorite things every morning, um, and I wasn't there to, to take her to those things... I think that it wouldn't really matter her, to her what, you know, what she was doing if she was going to Urban Air, which is one of her favorite places to go. Um, if I'm not there with her, she's not going to have the, the same amount of time. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that we need to think about. We could have a church where everyone is giving $1,000 a week, and we just have more money than we know what to do with. <laughs> but if no, one, if no one's willing to give their time or to use their talents within that church... Um, we're not, we're not going to grow. We're not going to reach anyone. And, and it's, right. it's, it's not going to be the church that, that God wants. Amen. Let's move on to uh, verses 3 through 5. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, 
Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. These scriptures essentially are telling us we have limitations to our knowledge as humans. We're just never really going to understand how God works, why, why he made things the way that he did. Science has come a long way in the last hundred years. And um, five years ago, I put myself in the atheist category. And a lot of my backing or, or the, um, the reasoning behind it was that science is coming a long way and we're able to, to prove or explain a lot of the way that, that this world works. Um, but when you dig down deeper into that, we are starting to understand a little bit of the how, but we really don't know any of the why. We don't know why anything is the way that it is. Um, and I really love verse 4 here. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And this is talking about basically if you're waiting for the perfect time to go do something. If you're waiting for the wind to stop so you don't lose any of your, your seeds when you're going to plant. And if you're waiting for it to be a perfectly clear sunny day for you to reap your harvest you're going to miss it if we're waiting for the perfect moment to do something we're going to miss it and along with that we need to be willing to essentially accept that some things aren't going to go the way that we want them to we're um, we're going to have some failures we're going to lose some seed we're going to not harvest some crops something's going to go to waste we're going to fail in one way or the other and and that's okay that's that's how god designed it we don't know why uh, but but that's character building, and that's that's going to move us along to to the next step. Amen. So moving on, verse six. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. We're not entirely sure if King Solomon here is talking about morning and afternoon of every day, or if he's simply just talking about. When you're young, being the morning, and then as we age, being, being the evening. Um, but I thought it was interesting. Our, our society is just zoned in on retirement right now. Ever Since I was a kid, that's, that's all everyone talks about, right? My, my parents, they, they're just looking forward to retirement. You, you get out of college, you start your first job, and you're supposed to put so much money into your 401k for retirement. Um, and this, this scripture is saying that in the light of eternity, retirement doesn't really matter. It's not to say that we shouldn't look forward to some retirement and maybe some reprieve or a, or a change of what we're doing. Uh, but God is calling us to work all the time, whether we yeah. get home and we're tired from work that day and now we've got to lead our families. Um, or, or maybe we work a few more years, you know, at that, at that end where we would typically be retiring. Um, just something to think about that, that in the light of eternity, um, this, this obsession that we have with with when are we going to be done working is not in fact what God wants. He wants us to always be working and, and be willing. You, you know when he's going to use us or how he's going to use us or who you're going who he's going to use us to, to touch yeah. in that time. Amen. So seven to eight here. Be there. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness. For there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. So the other day, uh, it was a week ago actually, Sunday, uh, my family, we were driving to Gorham because I, I had a hockey game that night and the girls were coming to watch me for the first time. Um, it was, I think it was about 6.30. There was a beautiful sunset that I hadn't even noticed yet. Um, and I was talking with, with Angie in the car 
And out of nowhere, Kylie, our, our four-year-old in the back seat, just says, God. And I was thinking to myself, oh, man, did I have I, have like, I don't remember the last time I said that, but do I need to have a conversation with her about appropriate uses of, of the term God? And I was about to open my mouth and, and go into, you know, what, what we say God for, and um, we don't want to use it in vain. And she said, hi, God in the sky. And she was talking to God the, the whole time. Um, and we just started laughing, but I started thinking about it. When was the last time that you not only just maybe saw the sunset or the sunrise and, and, and thanked God for like a beautiful picture? That's typically what I do. I, I say, wow, this is beautiful. Thank you for letting me see this. But, but to her, it was more than that. It was, it was God was right there. She, he, was, he was just with her. And I don't even know if she remembered that we were in the car at that point. She was just... You know, having this one-on-one conversation with, with God right outside our window. Um, and I, I think there's so much that we can learn from kids. And I think that this is sort of what that scripture is, is trying to, to remind us. That, that there's so much out there. And he is so close. All we have to do is just, just be willing and, and welcoming him into our heart. Um, and then he throws in this verse 8. And it just seems like it crashes all that down. Right? Just happy to, to sad. Um, but I think what he's trying to say is we need to keep the reality of our deaths at the forefront. We, we have this inevitable death coming. Each one of us does. We don't know when it's going to be. Um, and we need to live, live that way. Live like, um, you know, live like we might die today or tomorrow. And that, that's really going to change how we, how we view this perspective on, yeah. on life. Amen. So we're nearing the end of, of chapter 11 here. You who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Verse 9 really, really speaks to me here. I, but, I, but I see it from sort of two perspectives. The, the first one I think is, the one that was most obvious to me, um, we need to be careful of what we're going to follow, right? I think we can fall into this, this idea that we are our own judge and um, we are going to basically decide you know, whether or not we're going to go to heaven. That's, that's how I used to, to, view, to view my life. Um, and therefore, we, needed to be, or we need to be careful of, of sinning. We don't, we don't want to sin, right? We need to make sure that... Um, that we follow and do things righteously as God would desire us to. But I think there's a, there's a counter to that. Um, you know, what, if, what if in heaven, along with the account of the sins that, that we have done, when we have our, our, essentially our judgment conversation with God, what if it's also the, the pleasures that we, that we didn't partake in? What, what if we are... You know, so worried about the things that we're that we're doing wrong, that we are missing the pleasures that that He's trying to give us right in front of us, and yeah. and we are being held accountable for for those as well. I think it's I, I think about this past week, and um, we Angie and I knew that we were going to have this um, this really busy week. We had everything going. We had something going on every every night this week. So Monday night we were both up late going to different stores. One, Angie went to the store at like 9 o'clock Monday night. She came home to be with the kids, and I went to the store at, at like 10 or something, right? We got our food for the week because we knew it was going to be a crazy week. And then Thursday hits, 
And all of that was for not because we have no power for the next two days. Right? And now we're trying to figure out, should we save our food? Do we need to get rid of our food? Do we need to throw it away? Um, and it's just, amidst all of that, there, there were times this week, and I don't know if anyone else felt it, that, that I, was, um, I was a little bit broken and I was, and I was frustrated. Um, and I, I think I missed a lot of the, the little pleasures that I could have seen in, in this crazy situation because I was so worried about the things that, that weren't going right in, in my own eyes. Um, and I wonder if, if on Judgment Day, if, if we are going to be held accountable also, not just for our sins, but for, for those, those pleasures that, that we didn't partake in. So we're through 11. Now, now we get to that fastball coming, and we're going to try to hit this one out of the park, all right? So chapter 12 starts interestingly. It's uh, essentially Hebrew poetry is, is how this starts for the first, um, actually about nine, eight or nine verses. Um, and let's jump into it. We're, we're basically going to start young, and then we're going to go through aging, and then we're going to talk about death. And then we're going to talk about what is the point? What, why are we still in Ecclesiastes? What, what, are we really, what is Ecclesiastes doing, doing in the Bible? So in chapter 12, verse 1, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. I think we need to focus. I'm sorry, I didn't change this. On remember your Creator. If we create something whether we're making an arts and craft or we're making a, a motorcycle or a vehicle, if you create something, you just by default believe that that is yours, right? You, you just know, and no one really has to explain it to you, that if you make something, that is yours. And we need to remember that, that God created us, and therefore we are his. We actually are not our own individual. We, we are not our own. Um, our life really is not our own. That was one of the hardest things for me to overcome in my faith is, is my life actually is, is not my own. Um, and that can be very humbling to, to go through. Yeah. Um, and when we think that way, um, we need to remember to set our creator before us in, in everything we do. Because he designed us for, for something, for some, for some purpose, or for a lot of different purposes. And we just need to make sure that we, that we are putting our hearts in a way that we are, are allowing ourselves to be used the way that he wanted us to be used. Amen. This is a long section here, uh, but this is, this is going to be that aging part that I alluded to. So before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble, this is talking about our hands shaking, and the strong men stoop, that's our legs starting to shake or get weaker over time. When the grinders cease, I love this because that's our teeth, and when they, they eventually fall out. When the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed, and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. It's interesting as you... as. As we age, I remember my grandparents, and even my parents now, is that as they get older, they're always up a little bit earlier, right? And then they're more tired during the day, and they need more naps. That's, just, that's, just, that's what he's talking about here. It's, um, 
It's just a, a, a part of the aging process. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, we think we're invincible when we're young, and then as we get older, we start to fear a little bit more. When the almond tree blossoms, if you don't know what the almond tree looks like when it blossoms, it's white. Talking about our hair turning white here as we age. And the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Aging is inevitable. It's something that, that we hope happens to each one of us here before we go to our eternal home. Um, and, I, and I'm going to pause here and I want to I focus on the afraid of hearts, afraid of hearts, afraid of heights section in here. So I met my wife, Angie, in August of 2010. I met her on my birthday. And one of our very first dates, we went skydiving. Um, and it, it was a lot of fun. And I remember she was, she was fearless. I, ha- I had a buddy who was vomiting between two cars out of his, his fear for going up in, in this plane. Um, and we weren't sure who should go first. And Angie was like, I'll go first. So she was the first one to go up in this plane and, and skydive. Um, and I'm going to show a little video of that. But before I do... I want to talk about our seven-year anniversary that we just had last week. So we went up to, to Acadia. She gave me permission to, to share this. Um, and we have never been up there. And I heard or was recommended to climb some of the hikes up there. Um, so we go on this hike called Precipice. And I was told that it was the, the toughest hike that's up there. But um, either I didn't listen or I didn't care. I was wearing flip-flops. Um, and I, I don't know if anyone's ever done it. This is a terrible idea. Um, and we got, we got halfway up. We started getting up the part for anyone who's been up there. They um, essentially have tried to make scaling these steep cliffs uh, similar to a, a different type of climbing that, that they have in Europe. But in Europe, they have ropes between these um, steel bars that they have secured into the rock. Um, and then you latch onto the rope and onto these steel bars as you go up. But in Acadia, there's no rope and there's no latches. And when we got halfway up, and, and Angie was, rightfully so, very, very frightened of the heights. Um, and we considered going down, and then we started talking to some other people that had been up it before, and they said, once you get up, you can go down a different way. Don't go down. It's, it's actually safer to go up than it is to go down at this point where we were. Um, but, but that's just to say that as we get older, and we're not even that much older, we're just a decade older than we were back then, um, you know, fears, fears come into our, into our life and we have to overcome them. So this is Angie when I, when I met her. If you've never been skydiving, you should do it. It's, it's an absolute blast. The backflip out, backflip out of the plane is pretty, it's pretty wild. So let's jump back in. We're in verse 6 now, chapter 12. We just talked about aging. Now it says, Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. We're instructed here to to remember God basically before we die. And that everything else is meaningless. I had an interesting, I have a lot of interesting conversations right now with Kylie. 
but a couple of weeks ago, um, we, we pray about Jesus, we pray to Jesus, um, and we try to teach her about Jesus, but I had never had the conversation about what, what Jesus did for us with her um, until last week, and I, and I asked her if um, she knew what Jesus did for us, and, and then I, she, she didn't fully understand the cross, so I tried explaining the cross to her. Um, I said, Kylie, do you, do you know that Jesus died on the, on the cross for us? And she said, she said, why? And I said, so that when we die, we, we can have a chance to go to heaven too. And she looked at me and said, Daddy, we're going to die? <laughs> and I had the same reaction as you. I just started laughing. Um, but it dawned on me that, that she had never considered the fact that, um, that you know, death is, is something that, that's going to happen. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to teach my four-year-old every day, you know, like, we're going to die. But, um, but it is something that I think we can forget. And when we forget it, that's when we get very distracted by this world. Um, and, and it's when we remember that that inevitability is going to happen that I think we have the most power, especially as disciples, to, to really change this world. Amen. So a few more slides, only a few more verses left, 9 through 12 here. We're basically through 11 and 3 quarters of this book. And... It's really interesting how King Solomon wrote this book. He basically spends the first 11 and a half chapters, 11 and three quarters, talking about how everything is meaningless. And then here in verses 9 through 12, he decides to share with us why he wrote it that way and how he wrote it um, and sort of justifies this book to us. And starting in verse 9, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected saying like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. King Solomon was given wisdom by God, and he, had, um, he, he was tasked with, as the sage of Israel, as, as really trying to figure out what wise living is. Uh, when he, had, he had a desire to teach others all along the way. So when he bo- wrote this book, there are really three things that, that this scripture clears up with us in terms of how he wrote it. First is that, that he actually studied this material out. He was, he was a master of the material. That's where it says he pondered and searched out. And once he, once he found the material that he wanted to share with us, um, he had to find a way to present it, and that's the, the setting it in order. So he mastered the material, then, then he found a way to, to best present this material to us now, even thousands of years later, so that we can, we can still relate to it. And upright and true, he... he really did seek to speak the truth to us. Amen. Now, verse 11, goads and nails. So, so a goad is essentially a sharp stick that you use to, to prod animals when they get off course. And what he's saying is, is the book of Ecclesiastes is just that for us. When we find ourselves straying a bit and we go to the book of Ecclesiastes, it's going to give us a little jab in the ribs, pointing us in, in the right direction. But at the same time, it's like a firmly embedded nail. 
which a firmly embedded nail isn't going anywhere and it's rooted in whatever it, it is pressed into. Amen. And this is, this is rooted in truth. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. <laughs> Given by one shepherd. He's, he's telling us by one shepherd, that one shepherd being God, that although the book of Ecclesiastes was written by man, it was, it was inspired by God. And that's something that, that we need to remember. Amen. And then he goes on in verse 12 to say, we need to be wary of everything else that's out there. I forget how many millions of, of books are, um, are published every year, new books. I think it's like one or six million books a year. Um, there's so much material out there that we would just grow incredibly wearisome. We could never even keep up with that if we tried. Um, but the important material, the, the God-inspired material, is, is what's, in, what's in the Bible. And, and he's validating here that, that the book of Ecclesiastes is, is in fact inspired by God. So now, 13 and 14, these are the, the final scriptures in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the, this is the meaning of life, according to King Solomon and the book of Ecclesiastes. It's right there in blue. Fear God and keep his commandments. But what does that mean? Does that mean we should be hiding under a table and, and fearing everything that's going to happen in our life because, because we need to fear God? Um, and I think, honestly, that depends on where we're at in our spiritual life. When I was an atheist, I was not scared of anything spiritual because I didn't believe that there was anything spiritual afterwards. And then when I started studying the Bible and considering that, that maybe there was a God, and between that period of me realizing there was a God and me realizing what Christianity is and offers and the commitment that that entails and what Jesus did for us, there was a period where it was hide under a table and, and I didn't know what to do. Right? Because if we're, if we're not saved, if we are not righteous in Christ... And we know that there is a God. Then we will stand before him at our death on judgment day. And there's no hope for us. So if, if, if we're non-believers. If you're a non-believer hearing this, hearing this message. I encourage you to, to seek out the answer. Seek out the truth. Because, uh, because that judgment day. That, that conversation with God is real. And, and, it, and it's coming. Yes. Now that being said. If, if you're. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, if you've accepted him as Lord and made him Lord of your life and, and been baptized in, in his name and, and for the repentance of your sins, then this, this fear of God looks different. This fear of God is, is now standing in reverential awe of, of this creator that, that has made us. Um, it's trying to put him before every decision and trusting that every situation that you are in is because he wants you to be there and either you're going to grow from it or you're going to reach out and touch someone else that, that needs you to be there right then at that time. Yeah. In John 6, verse 40, you don't need to go there. Um, Jesus says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Amen. We just need to remember that, that Jesus is is the way to salvation. Um, and, and that's something that, um, that we can share with people. That's, you know, 
we need to fear God and keep his commandments, but, but that's only as powerful as, as Jesus on the cross and people understanding and knowing and, um, and believing in what he did there. So the last slide, what is basically the, the point of Ecclesiastes? Why, why do we go through this for the last two months, all 12 chapters? And it started off with nothing matters. Everything is meaningless. Um, and that's, that's only true if there's not a God, right? So if there is no God, then there is no judgment day. And if there is no judgment day, then everything we do is meaningless. It doesn't matter if I want a new car, so I go outside and I steal one of your guys' cars so that I can drive it home and have it forever. You know, it's a, um, I, I, I could go home and, and start abusing my wife if there's no God and there's no, there's no judgment day. Right um, or or be a murderer or a rapist or um, all all these things. If there's no God, if there's no judgment day, right. then morals really don't matter. That's right. Um, nothing nothing matters. But if there is a God, then everything matters. If there's a God, then we are going to stand before Him one day, whether we believe in Him or not, whether we believe in Jesus Christ or not, and we're going to stand before Him, and there is going to be a long list of the things we have done. And it is going to be you're going this way or that way. And this is going to be more than just those things that, that we share with other people, right? It says in, in verse 14 that even the hidden things are going to be, to be uncovered. That's, that's every thought that we have ever thought. That's everything we, we thought about doing um, but didn't. Literally everything, good or bad, is going to be on that list in front of God. On Judgment Day. So the message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters, but that literally everything matters because there is a God. Amen. Now you might find yourself, I just want to leave you with this, in, in a situation right now that, um, that is challenging or, or maybe a little bit monotonous and you're not sure why you're there or, or, um, or what you're supposed to be doing. But everything matters that you do because there is a, there is a God. And, and everything that you do might seem, you might not fully understand it, but, but God has you there right now because, because he wants to use you to reach out to someone else. That's, that's really why we're here, so that we can save as many souls. All right, with that, let's bow our heads and we'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 